Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. A trombone will always sound like a trombone. A violin will always sound like a violin. And bagpipes, for better or worse, will always sound like bagpipes. But what if you had a single instrument that could sound like them all? Trombone, violin, bagpipes, bassoon, glockenspiel, whatever. What if, instead of having numerous instruments, hundreds of instruments, that each took years to master, you could have only one, one thing that could conceivably make any sound? That was the dream of an inventor called Thaddeus Cahill, working in the late 1800s. He made the first ever electronic music, and, arguably the first ever musical streaming service. This is the story of the Telharmonium, and it's kind of a diptych with the next episode. Over the next two episodes, we are going to be talking about telephones, and how telephones prefigured a lot of what we now associate with the modern internet. Our story begins in 1893 in Washington, D.C., Thaddeus Cahill is a working inventor designing devices for typewriters and pianos. A new piece of technology came to his attention, and that was the telephone. He noticed that the sounds coming out of the telephone could be amplified. If you put a large conical piece of paper on the receiver of a telephone, you could make the talky squawking noise that came out of it a bit louder. So loud, in fact, that you didn't even have to have your ear to the receiver to listen to it. That loud squawky noise could be heard from across the room by multiple people at once. Cahill realized that the telephone didn't have to be limited to just conversation. It could also carry other audio information. It could also carry music. If a receiver was outfitted with that big paper cone, which kind of prefigured modern loudspeakers, plenty of people could hear it. You could have music playing in a public space coming out of this new electronic device, and it could be enjoyed by not just a person with their ear to the receiver, but by everyone in the room. And Cahill realized that there would definitely be an audience for this. Hotels, restaurants, train stations, very fancy private homes, any kind of public space could benefit from the addition of music. And they wouldn't even have to book one of those old-timey piano guys to get it. You could just dial it up. After his realization in 1893, Cahill got to work on a way to create music that could be broadcast through the phone lines. Now, the easy thing to do would just be have somebody playing like a trombone and a bassoon and put one phone next to them and have it come out the other side of the phone line, but that wouldn't have been suited to the medium. There would have been a lot of audio information lost in that transition, so Cahill knew that if he wanted to have intelligible, good-sounding, pleasant music coming out of a late 1800s, early 1900s phone, then that music had to be built for the phone. So he began work on something that would make music specifically for the phone lines, something that would make music electronically, a gigantic instrument made out of several rotating cogs, each cog with a different amount and different sizes of magnetic bumps on it. 
the cogs would rotate at variable distances from an electronic coil, changing the speed of the cogs' rotation, changing what kind of cogs were rotating, and changing the distance of the cogs from that coil. That could change sound. That could change pitch. That caused electrons to move in sine wave shapes. And those various sine waves of electrons, those frequencies, they could be combined to form different sounds at different pitches. They could be altered and combined and recombined to conceivably make any sound. This entire system was called the dynaphone, but it is better known as the telharmonium. And the first design for it, the Mark I, was a mere seven tons. Cahill used this as a kind of proof of concept for potential investors. After seeing what this amazing sound-making machine could do, guys with money were on board. Apparently there was a fundraising event in Baltimore, and enough people who could write enough checks were impressed that Cahill was later able to set up in New York City and make an even larger Telharmonium. And I like to imagine this Baltimore event where Cahill apparently got a whole bunch of funding to make his giant, crazy musical instrument as kind of like a modern electronic show where Steve Jobs or Tim Cook come out on stage with some amazing new technology and say, Look at this thing. It can do a thing. And then everybody goes, Oh my God, this is so amazing. I am enthralled. Please have all my money. I imagine it being kind of like that except with more top hats. It might not have been like that. But after the demonstration and securing a bunch of initial capital from fancy 1890s people, Cahill was able to relocate up to New York City, where he set up at 9th and Broadway what he called his Telharmonic Hall, and that is where he built the Mark II. The Mark I Telharmonium? A mere seven tons. The Mark II was over 200 tons. And if you look at pictures of this thing's innards, it is amazing. You see all the moving cogs. You see a riot of wires and connectors. You see all this heavy, heavy machinery. And a mad scientist would not be out of place. It is the kind of musical instrument for the type of person who would scream about gigawatts. This 200 tons of electronic equipment was controlled by a keyboard, or rather, several keyboards. See, it wasn't just one person that played to tell harmonium. Again, Cahill was going for complexity. Cahill was hoping that this could create, conceivably, any sound from any musical instrument. It took two people to operate at this gigantic multi-keyboard console. And looking at several keyboards stacked up on top of each other, the Phantom of the Opera would not be entirely out of place. However, Cahill was not really into, it seems, mad scientist music or creepy opera ghost type music. Apparently the Telharmonium stuck mainly with the classics. It played prestige music of the time, Bach, Grieg, Chopin, Rossini, that kind of thing, and it did indeed pipe that music via telephone into hotels and train stations, public spaces, restaurants, and even very fancy private homes. In the first decade of the 1900s, a paper cone attached to a telephone receiver in New York City was a sign of prestige. It meant that that establishment, or that private home, was a subscriber 
to the New York Electronic Music Company. Those establishments, or those people, could have the luxury of listening to music any time they wished. Just pick up the phone, dial the right number, and Thaddeus Cahill's Telharmonium was there for you. It was broadcasting before broadcasting. It was streaming services before streaming services. Thaddeus Cahill was sending out electronic music in an era, the early 1900s, when some people didn't even have electronic lights. And it was the first ever example of what in electronic music is called additive synthesis. That is, it was the first musical instrument that layered sine waves on top of each other to create different sounds. This is the first synthesizer. We think of synthesizers as futuristic, or maybe we think of synthesizers as very 80s. In any case, they are technologically inflected. We think of them as a kind of post-computer sort of thing, but this was the first synthesizer ever. And it was built in the 1890s, and it was providing music to people before 1910. And at this point, I wish I could play you some. I wish that you could listen to some Telharmonia music, but unfortunately, there are no extant recordings of the music to Telharmonium produced. However, I'm not going to leave you entirely hanging, so here is a clip from the 1968 album Switched on Bach, where musician Wendy Carlos played a whole bunch of Bach on a Moog synthesizer. Not quite the same as the Telharmonium, but it is definitely a descendant of what the Telharmonium was all about. Now, Thaddeus Cahill and his New York Electronic Music Company were successful in bringing Telharmonium music to whoever subscribed to it. Unfortunately, they were also successful in bringing Telharmonium music to people who didn't subscribe to it. See, in order for the music to be audible, in order for it to be at a satisfying volume, even with that big paper cone on the other end of the telephone amplifying it, the Telharmonium had to have a stronger signal than basically everything else on New York City's telephone lines. So, while Cahill's company was operational, it was not unusual to pick up the phone in New York City, try to call your friend, and then have a synthesizer Bach concerto interrupting you. So you're just trying to call your friend Martha and see how she's doing, and you can't hear her because a bunch of weird, trippy, electroclassical stuff is interfering with your conversation. So Cahill has the problem of not just broadcasting over the phone lines, but accidentally dominating them, and it led to a kind of telharmonium backlash. Also, there was declining interest. The novelty, apparently, of subscribing to music over the phone soon wore off. There was a stock market crash in 1907, and the Telharmonium was extremely expensive to operate. The Mark II cost $200,000 when it was built. That's in 1890s dollars. It would have cost 
millions upon millions of dollars today and the technical problems combined with the cost, combined with the 1907 stock market crash, meant that in 1914, Thaddeus Cahill's company folded. The Telharmonium was no more, and it pains me to say this, but the Mark II Telharmonium, the one that provided the first ever electronic music to the residents of New York City over the phone, it was sold for scrap. The last remnants of it were destroyed in 1962. Cahill did have a Mark III planned. It was never completed. Cahill would die in 1934, after seeing his business flare up and then fail, and he would never get to see it again, kind of. Because a lot of the principles that he outlined, a lot of the things that he used to make electronic music, ended up being viable. Those little spinning cogs with magnets on them, those formed the basis of the electronic Hammond organ. And if you've listened to any music from the 60s or 70s, you have heard a Hammond. Over a century later, we have streaming media. I can turn on Pandora or Spotify and listen to just about anything I want, when I want. Thaddeus Cahill's ideas were solid. It's easy to look at the wires and the heavy fixtures and all the cogs of the Telharmonium and think, this is the work of a mad scientist. But no, he was a really smart scientist. He knew how this stuff worked before anyone else did, really. And anyone who's ever listened to a synthesizer is kind of indebted to him. I think it's remarkable. He looked at the telephone, this thing that just brought two people together, and said, you know what? This doesn't have to just be one-to-one -one voice communication. This can be something bigger. This can be used to distribute art. He saw a system and saw other ways to use it. And next episode, we're going to be looking at people who saw a telephone system and found other ways to use it and bend it and break it and hack it. Next episode, we're going to get our freak on. And as always, this is a listener-supported podcast. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a supporter. Thank you, all of you who do that. This podcast exists because you decide it does every single month by supporting it. Uh, also, go to Apple Podcast. Give us a review. Give us various stars. Those are very useful. They help other people discover the show. I am on social media, at Joe Streckert, at J-O-E-S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R-T, -E -E on Twitter, and I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.